Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. The Patronage and Pluralism Forum, 10 Years On, Part 6. As I'm sure you've probably figured out by now, I could probably talk about the Forum on Patronage and Pluralism forever, and I'm sure I'll be coming back to it many times again. There are so many stories that blossomed from it, whether it was the struggle for Castle Bar or the scaremongering of Malahide, and I'm sure there will be many more stories as Ireland stutters its way out of church control of schools. For example, I imagine the reconfiguration story, which I discussed a few weeks ago, is going to be very interesting when that all comes out. However, I've spoken a lot about the past 10 years, so it's only fair to let you know what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. After all, it is the point of this podcast. Hello, hello. You are very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from on Shaw.net. It's Simon Lewis here with part six of the 10-year anniversary of the Forum on Pluralism and Patronage Report, which came out uh, in 2012. Uh, for those of you who are new to the podcast, if you uh, were, uh, if you enjoy this, please consider subscribing uh, to the podcast on whatever platform you use, as it helps others find it more easily. Um, I'm a bit of a football fan. For those of you who are new, you know, I, I often refer to my beloved Blades, my Sheffield United football team. Um, but yes, and when I say football, I, as you, that's soccer probably to you. But let's not get distracted before I start with football versus soccer. I presume most of you, whether you have an interest in soccer or not, remember when Steve Staunton became the manager of the Irish football team. And he came up with his four-year plan. Remember it? I'm the boss. I'm the gaffer. Um, well, given the failure of that plan, um, the lowest being that 5-2 defeat to Cyprus, I remember it because one of my beloved blades was playing in that game and never played again, Paddy Kenny. Um, anyway, Staunton didn't get to do his four-year plan. He only lasted two years because it was clear that his plan, well... There's no nice way of putting it, wasn't a very good plan at all. However, when it comes to the education system, it does appear that even when we have a very poor plan, we seem unable to hit the stop button or hire a Giovanni Trapattoni and start all over again, for example. Although I don't think we want a Giovanni Trapattoni for a revamp of patronage in Ireland. I can imagine how that would turn out. However, within the education system, we seem unable to do anything other than tweak things around. Whether that's, I don't know, the role of the NCSC, that's the National Council for Special Education, once the whole idea of special education uh, education became just way too big for their original plans to work anymore. Or whether it was the role of TUSLA when they invaded a kind of reasonably working child protection system and just battered it into, into smithereens and now we can't get rid of it again. Or in this case, the role of the church when it's absolutely clear they have nothing more to offer a 21st century education system. And there, I've said it, they don't have anything more to offer a 21st century education system. For all the debating and all the chatter about the role of church 
in education system, the real truth of the matter is that one question I never ever hear asked is, what would the education system look like if the church was simply removed? And that's what I want to talk about today. Because if I were the Minister for Education, and I was in charge of the forum of patronage and pluralism, the only question I'd be asking would be to envisage what an education system would look like without religious control. Now, it's not a simple question, so it is worth exploring it in some detail because it is easy to fall into some lazy pitfalls, I suppose. Now, I'm probably not going to go into a huge amount of detail about a debate between secularist education or church-controlled education because, to be honest with you, I, I don't agree with either of those systems. To be honest, I th I'm going to focus on what we have right now. And right now in Ireland, we don't have a secular patron, let's say, for want of a better term. We have church bodies running schools and we have multi-denominational providers uh, controlling schools, let's say. We don't have secular bodies controlling schools. And you know what? I see that as a good thing. So, I mean, I'll probably talk about this in another episode about secular education and why it's probably not the best option for us. I'm more interested in the multi-denominational model versus the denominational model. So when I talk about the education system, I often compare it to Christmas decorations in the attic. And whenever I go to the attic to take down the decorations every year, yeah, I have a Christmas tree. I don't celebrate Christmas like you might, but I do have a Christmas tree in my house. Yes, yes, yes. You can slag me off, whatever you want. But, uh, you know, when you have no religion, you can do what you want. And you can uh, basically have a Christmas tree, put a Hanukkah candles all over the place, or you can do what you want, uh, which is kind of nice and liberating, by the way. But anyway, um, when I take down <laughs> the decorations, they always seem to be full of knots. And every time I try and loosen a knot, another one appears. And when I loosen that knot, more small knots appear. And no matter what I do, the knots will just not be undone. So after a while, I just give up and I chuck them over the tree and hope no one notices. Now, I always think if I could just get the main knot, because there's always that main knot in those decorations, if I could just get that out, the whole thing would be restored to the natural glory of when I took it out of the box. Nice and simple. And to me, that knot is the tangled relationship the church has with schools insofar that it affects almost every single problem in the education system. I mean, things like bus transport and insurance are even tangled up with religious control of education. And I'll come back to those in a second. Even when the government really gave it a good go during the baptism barrier kind of debate at the time when, when, when children couldn't get into school because they didn't have a baptism cert, by taking away that knot, that was, um, you know, the thing is, the minister at the time created a whole load of other new knots uh, when he created the admissions bill. And that was Richard Bruton at the time, he created the admissions bill, which was supposed to get rid of the baptism barrier. And now that big knot has lots of new little knots. So minority faith schools are still allowed to have discriminatory policies on enrolment. Um, so if, you know, Church of Ireland schools can refuse you access if you are not from a Church of Ireland background or 
if there is a someone from the Church of Ireland who wants to enroll ahead of you. And while Catholic schools can't stop all children from uh, can't can stop children from enrolling, a new problem has been created in that if a family wants to opt out of faith formation in the school, the church has made that process inordinately difficult and messy, which will require yet another circular to ensure they can't do that, which I'm sure they'll find another way around. And ultimately the politicians out there don't care enough, so these messy little knots can be ignored for a while and chucked over that Christmas tree because, you know, it's good enough for most people. And in case you were wondering about the bus transport and insurance and what they have to do with anything, all schools have to pay their insurance premium as, well, maybe you wouldn't expect that, but schools have to pay insurance. The government don't pay it for us. And there's only one provider of school insurance in Ireland and they're called Aviva. And Aviva used to be known before they were bought over by Aviva as Church and General, the clues in the name, friends, who used to be the insurance company of the church in all its buildings as recently as, I think, less than 20 years ago, maybe. And uh, up until, I mean, very recently, and, and they still might, uh, because I can't find the evidence of it, the Catholic Church actually had a significant stake in the company. They were shareholders of the company, something up to about 3% of the company. And now Aviva was also the main sponsor of the papal visit to Dublin uh, in 2000, was it 2019? I mean, these are all little knots, I'd say. However, when schools pay their insurance premium, in, they pay them in these group schemes. So they're, they're joined together with similar entities, let's say. And these group schemes are generally grouped along diocesan lines, which means that church-run schools seem to pay a smaller premium than newer patron bodies like the Guelph School and a educate together um, and potentially, I suppose, CNSs, although their, their finances are sorted out um, by the ETB. Meaning that church-run schools, um, as I said, seem to pay that smaller premium that newer patrons, you know, don't. <laughs> now, when I asked Aviva about this, they actually just said, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> we, were, we, we, don't, we, don't discuss, um, we don't discuss that. So, I mean, I can only assume that either there's other either I'm right and there's something going on or well I, I don't know if there wasn't something I can't think why they wouldn't simply deny that there was some sort of arrangement so with the reconfiguration as well just to add more fuel to the fire with reconfiguration as a, as a new word for divestment I was I was reading about the reconfiguration system and all the steps and everything else one of the major hurdles of the ETBs or other patron bodies taking over from Catholic schools uh, one of the major stumbling blocks seems to be insurance. And I have no idea why this is. You see, there's knots everywhere, even an insurance tied up with the Catholic Church there. And bus transport might be a bit of an easier one to explain. Given that schools are generally divided along religious lines, everyone has the choice to go to the nearest school that basically correlates with their own beliefs. So ignoring the fact that choice is the, is the wrong word, let's say, this means that someone like my family is entitled to get bus transport to, the, to their local Educate Together school rather than going to their nearest school, um, to their house. And this means that my child will be on a, you know, will be on a bus, you know, sort of all the way over to his school and that, that bus will probably crisscross with another bus going in the opposite direction simply because of the religious control of schools. There is no other reason why this happens. And my son will pass by two schools more local to him than the school he goes to. And if there was no religious control of schools, he would simply go to his nearest primary school. I can absolutely 100% guarantee you that. 
Now, that is what happens in normal civilized countries. You just go to your nearest school. Now multiply our son by the thousands and thousands of children that have to access school buses for the same reason. And you can see that if you simply remove the variable of churches running schools, all these children would simply go to their nearest school, negating the need for hundreds of buses on the road. So you see how it all works? To me, if you untangle the knot of church control of schools, while I'm not saying there'd be no knots left in the Christmas decorations, I am saying there would be far fewer and the impact would possibly be revolutionary. The government recognised that the Forum on Patronage and Pluralism was going absolutely nowhere and in their most recent programme for government, they set the wheels in motion for what I see as the future of the education system. So I'm going to finally come to the solution here. It's going to take a while though. The only thing that really hasn't changed is how conservative the plan is. 400 multi-denominational schools by 2030. Now this would mean moving from a system which had 96% of schools under church control in 2012 and almost 20 years later bringing this down to about 88%? Yeah, 88% of schools in the country would still be controlled by religious bodies. And no matter what way one looks at that, that is extremely poor in the 21st century. However, one thing they may be doing correctly is they've removed a very interesting variable and one which they sometimes claim is sacrosanct. And the thing they removed in this, you know, moving from divestment to this reconfiguration idea is they've removed the idea that choice is important. Now, I recently covered the reconfiguration process um, in this podcast just a few weeks ago where the government quietly changed the process in 2017 or so of how schools would move from being, from being under Catholic control to a new patron. Up until then, patron bodies like Educate Together, the Community National Schools and the Gwale School Movement would compete with each other and to gain control of a school that might come on offer. So parents would vote on some website and the majority of votes basically won. Except when the majority of votes didn't always win, as we saw in places like Carpenterstown. But let's not get into that, because whatever way one looks at it, the divestment process to me was like feeding chickens, really. You get this farmer, coming into a shed or a coop with a few crumbs and he throws them in and the hens will peck furiously at each other to get as many of the crumbs as they possibly can while the farmer goes home with the rest of the bread loaf. Now people often praise the Catholic Church for not taking part in the divestment process and saying, now to be fair them, they haven't applied to run a school since 1995 as if this deserves some sort of accolade, like, I, do you know, oh, they, we, we already have 97, 98% of schools, do you know, in 1995, this was possibly the case, do you know, we, we, won't, we won't look for all of them, you know, we'll give a few scraps to those heathens, um, I don't know, anyway, and instead what they do now, uh, I don't know, it, it just, um, I, I find it slightly amusing, but it's, it's depressing at the same time. What they do is they watch these uh, smaller chickens, you know, they're the big chicken. Uh, what they, they let the little, the little chickens battle it out in the coop while they munch on their giant loaf of bread. To me, the divestment process was humiliating for everybody involved. I, I just thought, oh gosh, it's awful, you're kind of begging. You're begging for like schools and things like that, or you're, you're competing with the, with, with, 
I don't know. It was it was just it just seemed it just seemed embarrassing and humiliating. And it wasn't even a fair fight most of the time. Like in the early days when there was a secondary school up for grabs in Gory in County Wexford, everyone was sure it would go to educate together because for the simple reason the ETB already had a secondary school in the town and as you know the Catholic Church were being very generous to everybody and not looking to get more schools. But because the ETB decided they wanted the school, they have money, they have a lot of money, you know, and this is you know one of the temptations of the ETB, I'll get to that later. They pumped huge amounts of money and resources into a campaign. Money and resources that bodies like Educate Together and the Guelph School could, I mean, only dream about. And in the end, the ETB got the school. And it was to be over 15 years before Educate Together actually got the second level school they needed in Gory, because by then the Catholic Church and the ETB had had enough of their load of bread and they weren't hungry anymore. Um, so you can have a school now, Educate Together. However, outside of Gory, the hen pecking went around the country when new schools were reopened. And to be honest, it just looked pathetic. It also meant that schools were opening by popular vote and this always meant that there was going to be losers when that happened, whether that was people who needed a non-religious option for schooling for their child, or those that said they needed an Irish language of, uh, option of schooling for their child. Yes, they could have both, but the Gwale School seemed to have a major problem with the idea of multi-denominational education, which I wish they would really sort out because it's hugely frustrating to see them offering segregating children on religious lines, the same mistakes that both Educate Together made and the ETBs made in their early days by trying to appease bouncy castle, bouncy castle Catholics, as we often call them. As I said before, I don't want to talk too much about Gwell Skullina because I could be here all day, but feel free to listen to one of my early episodes, which was, um, I think it was called about the the good school, the myth of the good school. Uh, it's one of the very early episodes and uh, well worth a listen in terms of Gwell Skullina. Anyway, the government, as inept as they can be, must have recognised divestment was an absolute mess. Not only the hen pecking, but also the castle bar and Malahide problems where nobody really wanted to hand over their schools um, and everybody was blaming... <laughs> well, who do you think they all blame? Well, if you listen to any debate on the topic, on this topic, on the radio, or on TV or in the media, you will always hear people in power or people speaking for other people claiming, you know, parents want Catholic schools. Do you know, I mean, this is the thing. Parents want the Catholic schools or parents want choice. They want choice, absolutely. Choice is paramount or my favorite. You, you, you can't have a one-size-fits-all solution. I mean, because parents need, need choice. I mean, you can't have a one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to schools. Now, we've already talked about this is absolute nonsense. And you see that word choice, it keeps coming up. So the government in 2017 did something interesting. I actually have on my page written revolutionary, but I'm, I'm just going to... I'm going to step back and call it interesting. A school in the middle of nowhere in Kerry came up for the hen-pecking ceremony. And rather than go through the divestment process, the school was, and this is the new word, reconfigured to the ETB. Parents did not get a choice. And this was a game-changer in terms of patronage, however small this was. For all the talk of the sacred nature of parental choice, when Two Mile National School 
reconfigured to become an ETB community national school, not a single parent was involved in the decision. The deal was done nice and quietly between the government and the Catholic Church, and the bishop made the choice of who he was going to give the school over to. And over the last few years, over a dozen schools have reconfigured from Catholic patronage to the ETB without a single vote being cast. Up until 2022, all of these schools were tiny, failing schools, schools that were probably going to close down, had it not been for the ETB taking them over. However, in September, the first, this September, coming in 2022, the first thriving school, to quote RTE, is to be reconfigured to the ETB, and that town is Nina. Now, Nina was one of the 44 areas identified in 2012 as an area to be divested. And when the vote was taken, Educate Together was supposed to be the patron body, because that's what happened at the time. However, in Nina, the bishop made the decision to transfer ownership to the ETB, and thus the very first multi-denominational school, or the very first school, primary school in Tipperary, not under the control of a Christian church, um, and there are 96 primary schools in County Tipperary, from September, 95 of them will still be under Christian ownership. One will not. And that will be um, a community national school, and it will become automatically the biggest community national school outside of Dublin. And for all the possible shenanigans involved in this, the most important thing I want to focus on is the fact that the government look like they are serious now about reaching their target of 400 schools by 2030. And by removing parental choice, they have, done a they have a very interesting model indeed. And even if I don't like the manner in which it was done, if I'm completely honest, this is where I see the future of our education system. One no longer controlled by the Catholic Church or any denominational body, but one that is run uh, by the ETB in Ireland. You see, Nina is not a one-off. It's at the very least a continuation of what's been happening quietly for the last few years in tandem with the divestment process, okay? So however, to me, Nina though, is the first big strike of the community national school model, okay? Which I believe is going to be the future of our education system. So this is the first big school that it has reconfigured over uh, using no votes, okay? So I'm not saying this with any joy, let me, you know, but equally, I'm not saying this with any dismay either. When Educate Together was formed back in 1978, the pioneers of that campaign were calling for a state-run, multi-denominational education system. And what they got was certainly a multi-denominational system eventually, one that has by far been the most important thing for me on a personal basis, but for anyone who needed a life raft, and as I, I'm calling it a life raft, away from the benevolent dictatorship of the churches. Because like all benevolent dictatorships, if you fall foul of the rules of a regime, it can be a very difficult place for you. As we've discussed, whether that's because of your personal religious beliefs, your sexuality, who you live with, who you sleep with, what you can do with your own body, who you marry, if you decide to marry. 
The vast majority of people fall in line with the regime because it doesn't impinge on their life enough. And where it does, they will just make the sacrifice, such as baptizing your child just to get into their nearest school. Now, just as an aside, in case you weren't aware of it, and I've no reason to believe you don't, when you baptize your child, you make a number of promises to another human being, the priest, who is a human being. Now, I'm no psychologist, but I find it really weird that people are able to look another human being in the eye and blatantly lie to their face, especially an elderly man, as, many, as most priests are. And many people did this, did this, and many people still do. But back to my point, Educate Together has been, and I mean this with all my heart, a lifesaver for people like me and many others. If you go along to an Educate Together conference any year, you will hear stories of relief as if someone had escaped some sort of Christian version of a caliphate. I mean, I remember the absolute relief I felt when I got my first job in an Educate Together school. Even though I had to do a two hour round trip every day for the couple of years I was in that school, the feeling of not having to lie every single day was nothing short of life-changing. I'm not saying my first three years, three years of teaching were pure hell or anything like that. 90% of my day in the Catholic school I taught was, well, actually, maybe to be accurate, 75% of my day. 25% of my day was spent on religion because it was a convent school and they love church visits, visits and religious assemblies. Anyway, the fact that I no longer had to bless myself, the fact that I didn't, you know, that I didn't have to hide my religious values, say prayers, sing how wonderful Jesus was and so on, was one of the most liberating feelings I've ever had. And anyone that tells you that Catholic schools don't force you to do any of those things is lying. Lying as easily as many people do when they allow a priest to rub oil on their newborn baby's head. Hmm, maybe there's something in this lying thing. Or maybe we're back to the don't ask, don't tell system I discussed last time. Anyway, long story short, I want to say it in the most, I suppose, in the strongest possible way I can. Educate Together saved my career and I am and I will be eternally grateful to everyone who made it possible and for me to be there and everybody who kept it possible for me to be there. However, Educate Together did not provide its founders with the one thing they wanted, a state-run education system. Whatever way we look at it, Educate Together is still a patron body, a privately run group, no different to the Catholic Church, Church of Ireland, Gwell School, School Sinead's and all the rest. There are only two types of schools in Ireland that are state-run. This is primary schools. One is the model schools, which are officially state-run schools, even though they've been hijacked, possibly illegally, by the Catholic and Protestant churches. But we can talk about that again. But the ETB's Community National School ticks both the boxes of being state-run and multi-denominational. And whether any of us like it or not, the future of the primary and possibly second level system is the ETB. And in primary level, it's the Community National School. Nina is not an accident. Nina, to me, is a test case. Nina is a test to see how much uproar there would be if a thriving school converted over from Catholic patronage 
to multi-denominational patronage. It was built on the success of over a dozen smaller schools that converted over in the same way without as much of a whimper from the media, from parents, or from the churches. Now, I know they don't care as much about the people actually working in the schools, but they didn't protest either. So rather than going through the motions of a democratic public vote, simply changing a school over to a different patronage without any consultation with the public not only is quicker, but it's much less I don't know, scandalous is probably the wrong word, but it's much, it's, it's easier, basically. And as we learn from Castle Bar and Malahide, sometimes giving too much voice and choice can be a lethal combination. When Nina was announced, I think the Department of Education probably expected a bit of pushback, but there was absolutely nothing. Even the fact that the church are going to be paid a rental fee to allow the school switch from a faith formation practice to an ethical education practice, which is pretty much the only change, didn't seem to raise an eyebrow. Remember how we care so much about the National Maternity Hospital, but when it comes to schools, we just don't care. Nina is the first of five pilot schools to reconfigure over the next few years, and the government can be extremely confident that their risk to remove choice has paid off really well and we'll soon see a number of CNSs opening up over the next couple of years. And I don't envisage there will be any difficulty for the Community National School or for the government or even the Catholic Church with this arrangement. In fact, I think it's going to be an overwhelming success because Community National Schools and Catholic Schools don't differ hugely on the surface. Well, not much anyway. They sell themselves as conservative enough places, with teachers still called Mr and Miss, and the children still wear uniforms. And whether I like that or not, 75% of people prefer this in Ireland. I don't understand why, but they do. When all the surveys come out, 75% of parents like a uniform. I don't know. Anyway, it's amazing how the small stuff matters, like uniforms, rather than the big stuff, because the big stuff doesn't seem to matter to most Irish people. They seem as happy to allow their children to be taught a full ethical education programme instead of a religious faith formation programme. In fact, in all the talk about reconfiguration, even though this is by far the biggest change to how things are going to change in these schools, there has not been a single article written in the media, even the far-right Catholic media, lamenting this fact. It is as if, it's as if everyone is agreed that it's better for Catholic schools to become community national schools. I don't know what that reason is, given that Educate Together are by far the more established body, but I also get that the Community National School is a state-run body, so we have to concede that at its core, the Community National School is where we need to build the foundation of a 21st century primary education system. Now I'm taking, for want of a better phrase here, I'm going to take a leap of faith and I'm going to make a very bold prediction. I am convinced that at least one Catholic diocese is going to do a mass handover of all their schools one day to the ETB. I think if they don't do it in one fell swoop, they're going to do it in a much shorter time than one would possibly think. And I've no basis for this other than two things. The first is the reconfiguration model, which has taken over the divestment program. So if Nina and the other five schools go well, which I'm sure they will, this will be a powerful message to the church that they are going to be able to survive very nicely without the, their services within the school day. And given that they will be paid rent for the use of their buildings, this will enable them to run 
classes in their parish centres um, or in the schools after school. And ultimately, they can finally reclaim the sacraments to those who choose to have them. I can't imagine, and I have to be, I'm, just, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes a little bit. I can't imagine it's any fun for believers, uh, you know, for the actual believers of Christ, to watch thousands of children abuse their church every year, not taking it seriously. I mean, the lying continues well past baptism. Remember my patriarchy-hating acquaintance at the beginning of this podcast? Yes, they'll explain it away by saying they don't want their child to be left out. But it's nonsensical to say this. It's not. That's a nonsensical argument. And they need to stop it because it makes them sound stupid, if I'm honest. In any case, the arrangement might actually let everyone off the hook, the liars and the church. The church can worship with their own congregations as they should, and leave those bouncy castle people. The school can stick to education without a religious influence, and those parents can stop the charade of the dress-up day, which they don't believe in themselves. The second thing is that the ETB will take a huge amount of work off the Catholic Church. Schools have become extremely complex places, and the responsibility lies on boards of management, um, and this has become absolutely untenable, the, the, the amount of that's expected on boards of management. And boards of management are mostly chaired by a representative of the church. So if you're a Catholic school, you, while it might not be the priest who's the chair of the board of management, it is a Catholic representative who is representing the church's values, making sure that the church's interests are happening. Now, there is no one I know that thinks boards of management are appropriate for running schools anymore in the 21st century. Boards are made up of eight willing and sometimes unwilling volunteers who have to give up their time freely to make sometimes huge decisions around vast sums of public money, about the employment of everyone working in schools, and they even take full legal responsibility for multi-million euro building projects. And they do this often without a single bit of expertise. In fact, most of the time they do it without a single bit of expertise and they do it in their own free time. And it's nuts when you think about it, really. What the ETB does is they take all of these issues away. Yes, there may still be a need for a board of sorts, but they don't need to be responsible for finance and HR and other massive legal issues. The ETB would take care of all of it. And that sounds... If I was the head of a Catholic um, parish or something like that, it sounds like a no-brainer to me. All that legal stuff is off my desk and all I need, you know, I don't have to do it anymore in exchange for rent, which I can use for faith formation classes. It sounds like such a no-brainer. In fact, it's such a no-brainer. Why wouldn't every school in the country reconfigure to the ETB model, a state-run, multi-denominational provider of education, exactly what the vast majority of people in Ireland seem to want. However, let's get back to my Christmas decorations. All of a sudden, most of the knots would simply cease to exist because everyone would simply go to their nearest school. There would be no need for complicated bus routes, weird insurance group schemes, or any of the other things that happen in primary schools. 
shared boards for groups of small schools, shared leadership of small schools, simpler employment opportunities where you just apply to the ETB in your area and you're placed in any school in that area rather than applying separately for hundreds of schools. There's just a few examples of not simply disappearing with the churches and other private bodies taken out of the equation. And I could go on and on. And to be honest, in the first 70 or so episodes of this podcast, I quickly realized that in order to solve the problems I was highlighting, at least part of the solution was the removal of patronage. And in reality, if I were the Minister for Education, that's what I would be promoting as the best possible move for our education system. Yes, we might lose some autonomy. Oh, sorry, autonomy? Yes, we'd lose some autonomy. Yeah, the ETB, let's face it, can be very bureaucratic. Um, yeah, anecdotally, we hear stories that the grass isn't really that green sometimes in these schools. You know, for example, why are so many PDST facilitators, facilitators these days seconded from the ETB? I mean, one, one might ask that. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I toy around with these thoughts all the time. Maybe you don't, but I do. I, I mean, I have huge problems with the secrecy. You know, if you need to get any information out of the ETB, you have to get freedom of information requests. And some of the kind of Kafka-esque language that comes from the heads of these ETBs and their suits and ties. I mean, they're very formal. I mean, I find, you know, for example, their pillar, they have five pillars uh, that they have to um, work through. And one of them is excellence in education. I find that really off-putting, even though I understand where it comes from. I find the wearing of uniform and the calling of teachers Mr. and Miss bizarre. But like most people, I have to concede that I'm also afraid of how it's actually going to affect me personally and my job. And possibly, maybe more importantly, how it's going to affect me outside of my job. We know the ETB have policies on mad stuff, like how staff can dress. Now, I'll leave um, a link in my show notes um, you know, uh, to an RTE report on it. Um, and, uh, to be honest, I'll read some of the article because I, th- I think it's some of M.O. Kelly's finest work. Um, now, remember, as I read this, this is a dress code for teachers, not pupils. Okay? Dresses or skirts any shorter than just above the knee are unacceptable. Jeans, runners, hoodies, and t-shirts are also inappropriate. Leggings too are banned unless worn under a skirt or dress of regulation length and punk or shaved hairstyles or inappropriate hair colours such as pink or purple or unusual shades of red are unacceptable too. And the document leaves nothing to chance. Facial, facial piercings and multiple ear piercings are out, as are midriffs, halter tops, backless clothing, tube tops, garments made of fishnet, mesh, or similar material. Who was wearing those? Um, yeah, I mean, these are the kind of things that frighten me about the ETB, that they would have policies like this. Um, every ETB has to have a code of conduct for employees. Um, if you Google code of conduct for employees at ETB, you'll see um, several examples and they run into pages and pages. Now, I obviously have fears that things, I mean, like this podcast would be banned if I suddenly worked in an ETB. And I don't really think that fear is ungrounded. I also enjoy going on the media, as some of you know, and discussing the education system. Would that be banned without getting specific permission about what I could and maybe could more appropriately, could or maybe more... I suppose relevantly, could not say. Outside of these troublesome ethical issues, the financial and HR end of things could be difficult too. You know, you often hear that buying anything through the ETB is a long drawn out process. 
mean, you can't just nip into your local Mr. Price and grab what you need for your classroom. You have to go through some procurement kind of thing. HR in schools now is a, you know, HR in schools and these days, you know, in most schools is a very gentle, coaxing little affair. HR in ETBs, as you can see from their dress code, is formal, inflexible, and kind of heavy handed. The trouble with state run schools mainly is the loss of, of autonomy, I would think. And this is what most people, I think, fear. One of their biggest strengths, uh, I think, of the Irish education system is how much independence every primary school has. In effect, they can almost do anything they like. They can decide their school plans from the curriculum. They can take risks and invest in interesting ideas without being horribly, I mean, I, I'm absolutely should be accountable for things, but horribly accountable for them if they don't work out. You're, you're, you're encouraged to take risks and try things out. And to be honest, schools are generally trusted by the public that they're looking after children's needs at least reasonably well, but mostly very well. And schools, if, we're, if we really look at it, take all the religion and stuff out of it. Schools are nice places for most children. However, this biggest strength is also its biggest weakness because the system unfortunately only works for the majority. And that majority is a dwindling majority. And I'm talking about white Irish Christians. And if you don't fall into that bracket, the Irish education system can be a difficult place for you to navigate. If you're white, Irish, and at least and Christian, or at least apathetic to Christianity, you probably don't notice that you have an entity controlling everything you do. Because what you do, because what you do can't fall foul of their benign and benevolent rules. As long as you are providing children with the required faith formation, everything, nothing else matters to the Catholic Church. They don't really care about educational standards. They care about faith formation. That's their role. For those of you who aren't in the majority, unfortunately, a regime like that is cruel, repressive, oppressive and often racist. And it just, if we're really honest, it's not fitting for the 21st century. So am I advocating simply replacing one brutal regime with another brutal regime? It's a good question. And the reality is there probably isn't a perfect education system out there. There's a bad, there has to be, there must be, maybe there isn't, I don't know, but there is a balance anyway between autonomy and dictatorship. And by the way, I'm not suggesting the ETB is a dictatorship. However, if there is a spectrum of autonomy and, and dictatorship, complete autonomy and a complete dictatorship, it, the ETB couldn't, certainly couldn't be described as democracy either, which is somewhere in, you know, I don't know where, where that lies on that spectrum. Ideally, ideally, I'd love it if Educate Together became the model of choice, the state model of choice. And I don't say that out of loyalty. I say it because it's a democratic body where the ETB simply isn't. All changes to Educate Together come from their members. And that happens every year at their AGM and throughout the year when things need to change. They would never have come up with that dress code because they would trust that their teachers are able to dress themselves and not wear fishnets to their workplace. So maybe that's my niggle. Trust. So maybe that's where it all comes down to, to trust in the end. Moving from a post Moving to a post-denominational education, ed, education system has to happen, in my view. And the education system 
really can't be a privately run thing, but we have to trust what's coming next. I don't think anyone could disagree with that. However, who can we trust to run this education system? Should it be the only body that exists as a state-run body? Or should we look at other bodies, they may be currently private-run bodies, and make them the state body to run the education system? Should it be agencies or groups like Educate Together or even the Gwaelskullina people to run our education system? Who knows? I hope, if nothing else, I've given you some food for thought about the patronage system over the last three hours or so and where its future lies. While the form of patronage and pluralism didn't achieve what it hoped to achieve, it may have taught us a number of lessons we didn't expect to learn. So there we have it. Um, finally, we get to the end of my 10-year anniversary of the Forum of Pluralism and Patronage Report and I suppose all the lessons we've learned from it. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this six-part series. If you have done, please um, consider subscribing to the podcast and uh, please leave a review if it's something you've enjoyed. Uh, and even if you disagree with a lot of what I've said, please let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I'll be back. Uh, I have a few uh, interesting interviews coming up in the next few weeks. Um, and we'll be looking at different stories uh, around the primary education system in Ireland. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Simon Lewis from OnShot.net with If I Were the Minister for Education. Take care. Bye bye.